Welcome to For the Love of God podcast, a show for Christians that keep it real. Whether you're new to Christianity, a seasoned Christian, or dipping your toes in the baptismal water, this show is for you. Join us and strengthen your Christian walk. Play games and discover new music. This ain't your mama's Christian podcast. For the love of God! Oh boy. Fellas, how are we? I, I'm curious about what is a seasoned Christian. I mean, do like those cool flavors of soap count? <laughs> or does it have to be like salt and pepper or what? Well, well, now you're talking about flavors, and quite frankly, I'm not into eating other Christians, so I'm not really <laughs> well, sure. Well, Jesus that. said that if you're salty, you're good. Oh, very nice. Right. Yes, not, So if you're not seasoned, then you'll be trampled yeah, you underfoot. you got to be careful because <laughs> salty has a different meaning today than it did in those particular days. Well, true. See, we're just going to jump right on back into Bible time so it makes sense. But yeah, That's right. Absolutely. In fact, he says if you lose your salt, if you lose your saltiness, you're kind of uh, worthless, just thrown out to be trampled on. That's right. Good stuff. Folks, welcome back to the show. This is... Uh, for the love of God podcast, and this is Jason, and I am here with Pastor Rick Rieger. <laughs> glory, glory, hallelujah! I have got to work on my own theme music. Welcome, <laughs> welcome. You have nothing to complain about. That's right, because <laughs> yeah, because we also have Nathan Jewell. Think I'm just too white and nerdy. Think I'm just too white and nerdy. Can't you see I'm white and nerdy? Look at me, I'm white and nerdy. We have got to get those buttons out of his hands. Get these buttons out of my hands. See, Folks, here, here's here's the thing. <laughs> I used to be an engineer, so being called a nerd to me isn't a big deal. Oh, it doesn't bother me either. And I like Star Wars and Star Trek. So, you know, I mean, what I am a nerd, and I'm okay with that. But but see, that music reminds me of, uh, what is that movie with Steve Martin? A uh, Jerk? No, no, no. <laughs> where he was the... Sorry, I was thinking of Jason Lane. <laughs> oh. No, no. What's the one where he was the television? Evangelist and he was a complete fake. Oh, you're thinking of uh, uh, Leap of Faith. Leap of Faith. There Leap you go. That, I always think of that music there, or Leap of Faith when I hear that music. So, but The Jerk is a great movie. It is. It is. It's it's classic. I watched that when I was a young boy, and I didn't I didn't quite know what to think about it at that time in my life, but watched it later. <laughs> I don't know. I just wanted to some Shinola so I could know what it was. That's oh. that was what I learned out of it. Shinola. Shinola. Now we're kind of dating ourselves, gentlemen, so we better be careful. <laughs> <laughs> right. Folks, on the show today, we have Would You Rather News with Nate. Our topic today is evangelism. And let's get rolling. Um, you look different. Oh, really? Yeah. I think you might have shaved your beard almost completely Are off. Are you sure it isn't the lipstick? No. Uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> See, now you're going to say something like that, and my wife's going to listen to this and go, he's got lipstick on? <laughs> you know, it's not like she can prove me wrong, right? I mean, it is a podcast. Yeah. It's not a YouTube channel. I you played the fifth. terrible. Right. <laughs> yeah, my, uh, I recently did shave off the, most of the beard. It, uh, I've had that probably for about two years or so, and it hasn't been this short in quite some time. Quite some time. So my my wife was praying like the woman to the un, uh, to the unjust judge, and she finally registered enough complaints where God basically told me, "All right, it's time to shave it off." So <laughs> through her, of course. But uh. well, you know, now this, you know, I, we must love our wives. Did you notice that over the last week or so, I have not been spiking my hair? I have noticed. I, I like I it. I noticed that it it actually stopped about a week and a half ago, and you know why I did it? Because, because my right. wife has registered enough complaints. <laughs> actually, actually, she really hasn't. She complained about it. She just said, I really like your hair better when you do that. So it's kind of, it's, and ladies, this could be a tip for you, okay? If you really want to help your husband do, do the right thing, um, if you come at him with complaints, it's probably not the right way to do it because the trick for Rick's situation was uh, to talk about Say it again. What did, what exactly did Christina do to get your your attention? She on just that? simply said she 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 doesn't mind it the other way. She said she just prefers it and likes it better when I do this. So she I led with kinda, the positive. Yeah. And uh, my wife kind of did something similar as well. She told me that I looked younger with the beard. Oh, well, Ooh, that's so good. 
So it's not about the registering of the complaints. It's about leading with the positivity, ladies. Yeah, right. Well, see, it was all a timing issue with me because uh, I, I actually, I'm going to share my vanity here. I, I don't have a lot of vanity, but there's a little in everybody, you know? And I, one of my vanities is I didn't like being looking chunky. And so I, you know, I spiked my hair in order to look taller, <laughs> you know? Uh, the head looks taller, you look a little thinner. And now that I've lost like 30 some pounds over the last, you know, whatever, um, I thought, you know, I could probably pull this off. And I did. I looked and I'm like, ah, I don't look chunky at all. So, right. Well, my wife would rather me be clean shaven. <laughs> so, so Catherine, make sure you listen to this episode. <laughs> it doesn't work. She tells me how amazing I look with no hair in my face. And it, when I hear that, it's like, <laughs> Because I, I think pref- you might need to soften your heart. Now, when, there, Jason. When you, I prefer the hair. When you got married, did you shave then? Yes, for her for our wedding day. Uh, you and then grew back out. You look pretty good. You're a good looking guy. You know. You know. Way. I don't know about that, but so you also got to be careful because you know, as culture trends toward more and more facial hair, we kind of want to go against the culture and have potentially less. You know, that could actually be a positive thing. Yeah, fight the culture. So keep that in mind too. Fight the power, right? Uh, well, see, I like beards. I think all men should have a beard. Period. I mean, just you're a man. You'll notice, I still have, have a beard. Mine. Yeah, you do. It's you still have a beard. Mine's usually about that short does too. It, I keep it trimmed. Does but my, I've been, I'm kind of. Uh, my you're fine. Sack, you're fine. That, you're fine. Count? You're I'm, fine. I made it. You, <laughs> all right. So for those of you, who, uh, you, you are, who are not watching this live, it's uh, basically uh, Pastor Rick's got a goatee. So yeah, yeah, not even a good full one. It, it doesn't really connect too well, so it's not you know. Well, I certainly can't complain about that. I suffer from the same malady. Yeah, I, that's. <laughs> see, Jason, he's got a full beard, and I like that. I, you know, we, my my son and I, we, you know, we kind of idolize his beard. Oh, do you? My son, especially, because he can't even do the, you know, my he's kids like me, do I too. Bloom late. My kids are like, <laughs> I want a beard like you. It took me like, a number. Good luck. I wasn't in, it, I didn't really start getting the full beard effect until I was in my 30s. So it took me a little while. Yeah. Um, you know what's really sad is I wanted a beard so bad and couldn't have one. And so in high school, all I could, uh, you know, I had the peach fuzz, peach fuzz on the lip. And so, but I could grow sideburns down to about here. So I had really huge curly sideburns, totally ridiculous, but it was the eighties. I'm hoping that there are pictures of that, that we could put with this week's episode. I could, well, I don't know if I can come up with it quickly, but I think I know I have at least one because in my senior pictures, I know I still had kind of somewhat of a mullet and sideburns that were kind of ridiculous. Pastor Rick. Wow, rocking the mullet. Rocking rockin the mullet. I had a mullet in high school. Yeah. You know, I'm with. Uh, I'm with. Uh, it was in though. It was cool the then. Front? I'm with Billy Ray Cyrus, man. <laughs> I want my mullet back. That's a song. By oh, the way. fellas, we're really making Just our audience really. mad. They want to play. Would you rather? I think so. Would you rather? <laughs> so uh, is this now? Does it have to be Bible, or should we? You know, sh- would you rather? sport a mullet or have lamb chops. I mean, I don't suppose it has to be biblical. (laughs) (laughs) I think we'll keep it biblical because uh, I've got a few questions for So, Although I will say mutton chops is something that I I wouldn't necessarily mind giving that a try. (laughs) My wife is probably listening to this going, no, no, no. no." Yeah, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. I I did them. Knowing Aaron, I am certain she would not like that. (laughs) I've done things when I, when I go from a beard to nothing, I'll play with my facial hair. I'll, I'll throw them some mutton chops. I throw a, <laughs> a Fu Manchu. I mean, I do all kinds of crazy things. Um, handlebar mustache. <laughs> Take some I, pictures and then shave it off. <laughs> I'm going to do the soul patch thing right here. <laughs> so all right. Please, so please, please Rick, get us out of this. I'm going to just reel this us, right on in right out. here. And uh, we'll start with a little, you know, since we've been talking about wives and what they like, let's let's talk about wives for a second. Would you rather... Trade places with Adam, in other words, be Eve's husband. Would you rather trade places with Adam to repopulate or to populate the earth, or replace Noah to repopulate? I know what you're thinking. You better keep it inside. <laughs> I'll tell you what he's thinking. Let me tell you what he's thinking. Tell me if I'm wrong. Okay, oh, well, I know what he's thinking. I'll be thinking. honest. If you're, if I, I think right. you're. I think I know what tell you're thinking. Tell me if I'm wrong, Nathan. 
I would rather replace Adam because the chances of being with the most beautiful woman ah, in the world yeah. is right up my alley. Well, you're not necessarily wrong, but you're not fully there either. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, since we put you on the spot, go ahead, Nate. Well, just think about um, in, in terms of, of creation, you know, God is the perfect creator. There has never mm. been a more beautiful woman than Eve. Most likely. Most likely. Right? Most likely. Because um, if beauty's in the eye of the beholder, there's no greater beholder than God himself. Ooh, that's and deep. if you look at that, you'd be married to the... You, you basically, you'd have a job of repopulating the earth with the most beautiful woman of all time. You go at What it. man would not want that opportunity? Now, that right. being said, my wife is the most beautiful woman of all time. Now, he did have so. to give up a rib. <laughs> he did have to give up a rib for her. I, I understand that. I'm pretty sure it was painless, though, for him. Here's the thing. Okay, so was, is, was that your answer? That is my answer. Adam. Okay. Yeah, okay. Adam. All right. You were close. And now, I want to argue. Uh, God, God's direction, perhaps that's the wrong word, for lack of better words, I'll use it, towards a beautiful woman has nothing to do with aesthetics. It's all inner. I 100% agree. That is, uh, that is very true as well. Yeah. So, and. But I will also say, if you have ever seen a majestic skyline. That's very aesthetic. It's very <laughs> aesthetic. She was probably both. She was probably both. Probably, probably, probably. Who are we kidding? Probably no pimples. And probably none of that, you know, weird stuff you get on her, you know, and, we get on her skin and all that. Yeah. And may I add that all the women are God's creation. I think he's trying to uh, get in good with his wife right now. I think, <laughs> I think Catherine, exactly he knows Catherine's going to listen to this. Especially well, after she hears about him not willing to points. cut the beard. That's the <laughs> And I admit, I admit, I like, I like the way he thinks. It, it's a good way of thinking. <laughs> so, so what would you pick? Uh, Adam, and only for one reason. I don't want to build that ark. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right, well, there you go. Uh, no other reason. That's it. Uh, no. Um, well, imagine the the uh, the environment you're living in. You have the Garden of Eden essentially right there versus oh, yeah, yeah. versus having to live with the the height of sinfulness of man that leads God to destroy everything. Right. <laughs> so. Well. Right. And here's my other thought. <laughs> have you ever seen um, the movie Noah, Thark, with John Voight? Voight. I don't think I've seen. Okay. That. Worst movie ever. Worst. <laughs> and if I have to be that Noah, forget about it. <laughs> John Voight. You're not talking about the recent Noah, are you? Like the no, one that was no. because that was like horrible. That was Russell Crowe. Yeah, that was. I. I mean, in my opinion, this was like in the eighties. Yeah, that's what happens in Hollywood. Yeah. Tries to get a hold of Christian ideas. Oh, it was yeah. just that was. I, oh. I'm like, why am I watching this? I wanted to just go couch my eyes out. Yeah. yeah. Um. It was in the eighties and. It was, the acting was absolutely horrendous. <laughs> Sorry, John Voight. And John Voight and another popular <laughs> actress, she's a woman, um, his wife. Uh, I forget who plays it, but she's in a lot of, lot of stuff. Um, very attractive. Um, kind of uh, aged very well. I just can't think of her name. doesn't matter. She was terrible too, and so were his kids. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Anyway. <laughs> it was horrible. I watched five minutes and turned it off. So now you just can't relate to Noah because I can't, of that movie? Can't, yeah. That was a TV movie was, series, wasn't it? No. Are you sure? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. On Amazon. It's on Amazon. Okay. They, four it's, hour miniseries. Is it a four hour? Okay. Okay. Yeah, five minutes. Okay. Done. That's basically a really big movie, so. Mary You're Steenbergen? Right. Yeah, that's it. Oh, okay. Um, And she's a good actress now. I mean, she has some practice since then, but. Yeah. And John Voight does good stuff too, but not then, not there. Not, not then not and there. One, huh? It was right. awful. So I'm going to go the other route. Uh, there, there's obviously some pros and cons in both of these, but I would pick Noah because uh, one of my, when I was a kid, my mom and dad used to make me watch Little House, or no, I'm sorry, not Little well, The Waltons. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was a really goofy, nerdy show when I was a kid, but now it's kind of like my dream it would be so, now, you know, my kids are about ready to move out. I know, you know, they're going to get married. They're going to go out and have their lives and all that. But man, how cool it would be to like have that kind of close relationship to, with your family, you know, have several generations of the same home. And I'm thinking Noah got to start over 
with his family. He had three sons and their wives. I mean, they had to have some really cool family building <laughs> exercises, you know, and just to start, that would be a really neat thing to experience as a family, you know, just starting all over, uh, you know, they, the ship lands, you know, the ship, the boat, whatever, uh, the ark lands and they get out and like, okay, well, where do we start? You know, and just going through that whole thing together would be really cool. Now with, with, with Adam and Eve, it would be like, you know, just more of a husband and wife thing. This, you know, with, with Noah, I thought it's kind of started more with a family. Now, eventually they obviously had a family, but the only thing I would say is if you think about, if you take the Bible literally mm-hmm. and it, you think about the flood, when the waters receded, everything was dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're everything. right. Everything. There was mud everywhere, right? Um, but it was coming back. I mean, obviously, we had, he had you know, leaves right away, you know, so stuff come back pretty quick. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. Just a, uh, just a thought. You know, you, you have the opportunity for God's wonderful creation and experiencing that versus the idea of stepping off and all you have left is roughly mud. Well, I mean, (laughs) if you think about it, they both were populating the world and they both were, you know, just kind of exiled out of what they used to be in. I mean, it's true. They had to leave the garden and go out into the great unknown and Noah had to kind of start over. Well, you can, you can certainly relate to to Noah and with medicating himself with drunkenness, having to experience that kind of <laughs> death in his life. You can only imagine the amount of PTSD that man was dealing with. Or maybe he was just having such a good time with his family. He just got carried away. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. But if it, well, it depends. Were kids teenagers? Because that might change my answer. <laughs> they weren't. They were all married. But. All right. Let's do another one here. Let's do one a little more serious. So would you rather witness the crucifixion or witness the resurrection. Now think that uh-huh. through. Think that through. There's some, you know, no wrong answer there, but yeah. It would right. be. I it went would, first this time. Okay. You, you first, Jason. It would be so hard to watch the crucifixion. I mean, it would, it's hard to watch on television. Now I wonder, okay, for some, for those that were with him and followed him, it would be absolutely the worst thing ever right right but for those that didn't it's kind of like just another guy going up on the cross because they have that happened a lot right then i would like to think that i would be one following him <laughs> but the resurrection on the other hand would be quite the eye-opening experience especially if you knew the history who he was, where he came from, sure, what he was saying he was here to do, and then maybe even not believing it or not quite sure, and then watching that and having that validation. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like when, like today, how when we cross over, when we go from unbeliever to believer, mm-hmm. and you guys kind of. We're always kind of there, kind of not like myself. Mm-hmm. Understood. So for me, it was like, it was almost like watching the resurrection. You, you kind of experienced the road to Damascus moment. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to pick resurrection. Okay. How about you? Let me think about it a little bit more. You go ahead. All right. Um, I, uh, you know, I've had a little time to think about this because I created these questions earlier today. And I'll be honest, uh, you know, if I was going through it completely not in the know, like if I had to be one of the disciples, then I probably would want the resurrection because much more positive experience, mind blowing, really. However, comma, knowing what I know now, if I could go back and witness it, I would want to witness the crucifixion. Yeah, I would hate it. I would absolutely loathe it. But to see his character to see the love, you know, just to see how he handled something so gruesome and awful, something that got the attention of others, you know, the centurion, you know, who said, oh my, surely he was the son of God. You know, there had to have been something there. The darkening of the skies, you'd yeah. have the, the earthquake where the temple cloth was ripped into, you'd have or the raising of other people that were dead. Like people that were family members just walking around the city yeah. because of the power uh, right. involved in it. Right. And uh, I'm not, again, I'm not a gruesome kind of person. I do not want to watch death and I could not, 
you know, be excited about seeing, you know, the son of God die, but at the same token, just to see his character, you know, that would have to, that would leave an imprint on you forever. Uh, and a good one, I would think. For sure. I don't know. I, I, this is kind of a tough one for me. I, I, usually I'm right. I hammer home right <laughs> Just, to one direction or the other. Right. I can't keep thinking about both sides and I can't really pick one. So I would say, I guess because of the positivity of the situation, I'd probably go for the resurrection. Okay. Yeah. Um, mostly the idea, I, you know, we're all designed in God's image. And so he gave us a sense of humor, which tells me that God has a sense of humor. And you can see that sense of humor in God in the Bible if you look at it. You, you got to be looking for it, but it's there. Like, for instance, when he appears to a room post-resurrection full of his disciples in a locked room where nobody can get in, he just appears in the room. Like, that's just, that's a little bit of a sense of humor moment for me because he's like, surprise! <laughs> 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 and just showing his power like that. Like, I, I could see how that would be... I don't know, the opportunity to see Thomas say, I will not believe unless I can put my fingers in the holes of his hands. And then Christ's like, oh, put him in. I'm right here. Um, or even to that, you know, the, one, of the funnier, one of the funnier stories that I, I found in the Bible is the morning of the resurrection when Peter and John run to the, the tomb to find out if it's still empty after the women come back and say it is. And I could just see Peter and John running next to each other and John gets there first and Peter goes, nobody's going to remember that. And so John writes it in that the other disciple beat the, beat but, I, <laughs> but he put it right into the Bible that he beat him in the race to get to the tomb. I, I just like that kind of stuff is kind of funny to me. Um, but yeah, could you imagine the, the sheer exultation of, of these believers that were following him because they were just men. They were fishers, tax, tax collectors, mm -hmm. you know, um, one was a doctor, but they were just men. These were not religious types. And one was a Pharisee. <laughs> <laughs> True. The, um, well, which one are you thinking of? That was a Pharisee. Peter. Was he a Pharisee? I will have to study that one out. I don't think he was. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Hmm. I know that, I know that Paul was. Oh, that's what I meant. Yeah. Okay. So I meant Paul. I think was, I was trying to think of like, which one are you talking about? I'm not sure. All right. I was actually just delaying there. I'm like, I know he's going to figure it out here in a second. And he did. <laughs> it all made sense. I think the, the joy of experiencing the resurrection with the disciples would be. It's got to be a load off your chest because yeah. yeah. they just witnessed a whole lot of badness and they were probably had a whole lot of hopefulness and then wow. And that the, it was just there. I'll throw you another one. Um, Peter just three nights before basically mm -hmm. denying Christ three times. And then when Christ comes back, he restores Peter to leadership. Like, I would love to be there for that. Gotta feel good. You, you'd see Peter just be completely crushed in front of Christ. And Christ just picks him up and, right. and lifts him and restores him. It, it's a beautiful scene. All right. Here's one more. One more. This one here is just uh, to make you think. Are we, do we have time? Well, yeah. I was just going to say real quick. I just realized <laughs> that was the third mix-up I had with Peter and Paul. <laughs> and I should have known better because he was Saul. Before he came, Paul and Saul and Paul rhyme. Well, now that we've talked about Peter and Paul, let's bring Mary into the equation. <laughs> Not the Mary, but Mary Magdalene. So uh, here's, a, here's one just to get you to think. Would you rather have a 15-minute question and answer period with Judas or Mary Magdalene? 15 minutes you get to spend and ask them any questions you want to learn whatever you want to learn. Would you rather... Would you rather do a Q&A with Mary Magdalene or Judas? All right, Rick, you get to start this one. Oh, goodness. Um, yeah. See, on, uh, I guess I'll paint a picture. Um, you know, on the one hand, you get Judas, who really was in there with the disciples and would have a lot of good information. And, you know, I guess... Uh, being that you would be giving in the Q and a now, a lot of hindsight, 
you know, boy, whoo, shouldn't have done that. <laughs> should have done that. You know, that sort of thing. On the other hand, you got Mary who was, you know, really saw the gentle, loving, forgiving nature of Jesus. And you could learn a lot from either. Um, I, you know, my gut tells me as much as I could go either way, uh, my gut tells me I'd like to really see what Mary has to say. You know, the one who was uh, about to be stoned and Jesus kind of, kind of went the other way with the, you know, caused the Pharisees to go the other way. And for you modern listeners, uh, not the word, the word stoned Old Testament meaning, not new, not current times meaning. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Throwing rocks at not ingesting something, put the joint down and (laughs) sin no more. (laughs) So yeah, I think I'd go with Mary. Although I could see value either way. So what do you think? What about it, gents? Uh, I probably go with Judas. I, I kind of know what, where his head was at. I mean, he followed this man for three years, mm. knew him, worked with him. Experienced the miracles. Experienced the miracles. And yeah. he knew and yet sold him out. He and was the like, one that was in charge of the money, though. Maybe he, maybe he just didn't like that wine. I mean, maybe he didn't. You know, everybody says it was so good, but blah. Thing is, I like to ask him a few questions. I like to ask him kind of what he went through afterwards. Because, I, don't, I mean. It is a modern day Q&A, so he would know it all. Yeah. yeah. And, like, was he, did, like, in the movie, The Christ, whatever it's called, uh, Passion. Passion of the Christ. Um, he was, uh, tormented by demons mm-hmm. afterwards. Is that in the Bible? Yeah. Yeah. Well, but we don't really know, well, right? Well, what we know is that he wound up committing suicide. Right. And uh-huh. he hung himself from, from a tree, tree. branch yeah. and that tree branch broke and his body fell into a chasm. Right. So nothing good, uh, probably encouraged him yeah. to do that. I'd also like to know wh- where he is because he was a believer and a follower. So- it, was he forgiven? There are some theories that it, that it could have been any one of the disciples, mm-hmm. that Christ had to pick one of them, right? We don't know. I'd like to ask that question. Like, why, why, what was different about Judas? Why, why didn't he get it? Because he had the evidence, you know? It's hard enough to convince an unbeliever today because they can't reach out and touch and put their fingers in the holes of his hands. Mm-hmm. Um, but why, why Judas? What was it about Judas that made him do this? Or was it just a situation where it had to be somebody? Yeah, I think when, uh, when you get into those questions, it's, it's too mind-blowing. It's, you know, the fact is, is God knew. I don't know that God makes people do anything, but he knows what's going to happen. Right. He knows their character. He knows how it's going to play out. But clearly you know? the man suffered for his, his actions. Right. He, he he tried to give the cash back and we know that he, um, he wound up hanging himself out of regret, right? And probably more than a good deal of shame as well. Yeah. But I mean, I can think of a lot of times in my own life where I made a mistake and that was something I look back and I regret, but Christ loved me anyway. Right. And even the act of suicide can be a mistake. You know, I, I know a lot of people, you know, disagree with me on that and say, oh, you know, if you commit suicide, that's it for you. Yeah. I don't know that that's the case. No, that's not true. He can forgive the murderer. Um, so, you know, technically suicide is murdering, right? Well, just because you can't, you know, do anything about it, you know, the person's still dead. I think that God can forgive all those sins. And I think that sometimes you can give in to something and make a split split decision, uh, you know, to, to do a lot of things, commit adultery, look at something you shouldn't look at, commit porn or, you know, adultery in your mind, whatever, or murder somebody in your mind or potentially take your own life when the pain gets, uh, big enough, hard enough, intense enough. So yeah, you know, I guess we'll find out. Certainly. I hope he made it. I hope he did. I think he did. I think if we ever get to the point where we don't hope anyone makes it, we're probably in the wrong place. I mean, the wrong place, uh, frame of mind. Let's put it that way. That's fair. Frame of heart. That's fair. Yeah. So, yeah. And there's going to be 12, um, 
what do they call them? Disciples? Well, no. In heaven, there's going to be 12 archways, kingdoms. kingdoms. Or whatever. And they're all going to have a name, and it's going to be each one of the disciples, right? Maybe. Could be the 12 tribes of Judah. 12 tribes of Israel. That's... Mm -hmm. I have to research that out. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking disciples, but... There's something to be said for numerology in the Bible. It's dangerous to play with, but usually there's a meaning behind it. Yeah. So, was that our last question? Did everybody answer? I think so. Yeah. I guess I didn't come right out and say, but I would pick uh, Judas as well. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. You didn't, technically. I want to know what... Why? Like... I get it, man. If you made a bad decision in a moment, I get it. All right. But did you think you were doing the right thing? If so, why did you think that? You know, right. And Satan can get in into any of our heads. He sure. doesn't have to. That's the thing about the enemy. He doesn't show up dressed in a red suit with little horns on his head. <laughs> he shows Make it up, easier, wouldn't it? <laughs> he shows up looking really cool and mm-hmm. suave. Says the right things. Right. He says exactly what you want to hear. And that's how he's so powerful. It's because he wants, he gives you what you want. Right. Reminds and, me of that old song, angel of light. I think it was Petra. How the, the enemy uh, kind of portrays himself as an angel of light. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's the way it reminds it me of a song too. And tell me what you want, what you really, really want. What you- <laughs> <laughs> wow, with that, that was a huge jump there. Folks. News, with, right along. news with Nathan. <laughs> We talk often about how the first century Christians, they experienced a level of uh, persecution that the modern church just is not prepared or ready to experience. Um, however, there's something about the faith that grows in the midst of persecution. We see that in China, where the underground church is being so successful, um, and we're experiencing a little bit of that in Canada right now. So for those of you who don't know, there has been a Canadian pastor who was jailed over um, quote-unquote pandemic violations. So this pastor's name, uh, let's see here, Tim Stevens of Fairview Baptist Church in Calgary, was originally arrested for violating public health codes. So because um, they fought it in church, they, sorry, they fought it in court, and the charges were dismissed. However, the government seized the church, locked the doors, changed the locks, and forced them to meet out in the open. So this pastor is like, okay, fine, we'll meet out in the open. We don't need the building. Which, bravo to you, pastor, because that's... Amen. That's... Yeah. Well done. Well, well done, done, sir. Well done. Definitely on the right path. And... Um, because he, he basically hosted these events outdoors, according to Canada laws up there, if you had more than like a third of your normal size of your building, then you were in breach of these codes. Well, it's outdoors. So they had some kind of arbitrary number of how many people were allowed to worship, and that number was not, that number was broken apparently. And so they arrested him again in front of his kids and family. Um that's all right. It's a good example. It, it, this is the kind of persecution that the first century church experienced. Arrest unjustly, and it's about power and control. And quite frankly, the enemy is all about power. The reason why I bring this up today is because there's another pastor up in uh, Canada who is experiencing this particular push. And this, partic- this, this, type of, this type of persecution is only going to grow. And we see that throughout the country. You can look at, well, let, let me finish the situation here with, with, uh, with Pastor Tim Stevens. So he's now in prison, which this kind of pastor, the kind of pastor who has the cojones to stand up to the government like this, he's going to do fine in prison. He'll have himself one heck of a ministry in prison and make a big difference there. That being said, there is some court cases still ongoing. They're, they are trying to fight the charges and win, but we do not have an update yet on how that's going to play out. You got to let that system play out. Shame on you, Canada. That's all I can say. Shame on you. Shame on you. But that level of persecution isn't just something that is happening in Canada. Now, it's not happening to that degree here in the States yet, 
but it's coming. You can see that in the way that the courts and government has been treating believers. One of the more obvious examples of that comes from uh, Pennsylvania and also from Michigan, where Catholic social services was basically deemed to be too discriminatory and no longer allowed to foster or adopt kids in those two states. So those states had a... um, they basically passed a rule that you cannot discriminate against same-sex couples and the Christian or sorry, the Catholic social services said that's, that's against our faith. We're not going to do that. And so the States basically said, fine, if that's your rules, you can't play. And, um, that was back in 2018 that that occurred. And this was just updated on June 17th of this month. But, um, Philadelphia's exclusion of the Catholic Child Placing Agency from its foster care program was found to have violated the First Amendment by the Supreme Court. Now, I'll tell you, the Supreme Court gets it wrong just as often as they get it right. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're men, right? They're men and women that are just as faulty as any other men and women. But there is a higher court than the Supreme Court. That's the court of God. And that's the one we're all going to be judged by in the end times. But here's the thing. What's really shocking about this was the way the Supreme Court ruled on this. So for those of you who understand politics, you know that there is a left wing and then there is a a right wing version of the Supreme Court and they kind of jockey for position and fight back and forth. In this ruling, it was nine to zero. Mm -hmm. The courts were unanimous. Even the left wing side said, you can't do that. That's scary. That's honestly, I don't know if I'd say scary. I'd say it's really good. Because yeah. it's so rare that I can literally point to the political left and say, hey, they got it right. And this was one where they did, where by saying that those rules were unconstitutional. Oh, oh, the other way. Okay, the other I'm way. Sorry. I, yeah. I was, I didn't follow you. They ruled towards the good. They Okay. Now that is good. Sorry. I thought it went the other way and I'm like, oh, now that's scary. That is, it is a good ruling. But no, that um, is, yeah, I got But I you. will say that this isn't going to stop the, the political ruling class from trying to do this kind of stuff again and again and again. Right. You might remember that baker out in Colorado. He's mm-hmm. been sued something like five different times already. Wow. And the, the, the political ruling powers, they will not relent. They will, they will use the law as a weapon and tie you up. I'm talking about the one that wouldn't make cake for the gay marriage. That's correct. Yeah. I, I can't see how they can force anybody, any business to make a cake for whoever they want to make a cake for. It's true. Or not make a cake for whoever they don't. It's their business. It's their choice. That's the thing. When you when you are really seeking power, people the idea of power is that you take away other people's choices. Right. And that's what they're seeking. When power is seeking power for its own sake. Right. That's when you've got really dangerous people. Yeah. And that's it goes when, that's when they defy logic. I yeah. mean just like the whole the the gal that was telling us in Canada where you can go into a store and you can buy some of this stuff from that store but you can't buy this stuff from that same store. I mean that is the most ridiculous arbitrary. It's it's ridiculous. I mean you're already in the store. Corona is not getting it's not involved in my decision to buy from aisle 1 or aisle 7. So, you know, it's just completely ridiculous. Yeah. I will add um, as a final thought on this particular topic that while Michigan also pursued a case against uh, organizations, or Christian organizations like Catholic Social Services, the recently the judge up there basically put the entire case on hold pending this Supreme Court de- decision because it was essentially the same case. Now that that decision has been made, it stands to reason that the Michigan case should be dismissed as well. So fingers crossed, uh, pray for, for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, particularly those who, who are called to, to be involved in ministries like fostering and adoption, mm-hmm. that they won't have to continue to face this particular type of demonic oppression. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's sad. They flew helicopters to get that pastor outside with his group. And they were in the woods having service. And they flew helicopters overhead to find them. It's, Do you know how much money it costs? It's, it's about power. They want to shut down the, the pastors who, who are basically standing up and saying, no, your, your desire for power and control are not my highest authority. Mm-hmm. And if you tell me no... I'm going to do it anyway because I have a higher authority than you. Absolutely. And that's the part that power cannot abide. Yeah. It, it, it will not suffer any sort of dissent. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to me that there seems to be, 
you know, you don't see this level of fight from a lot of churches. Most churches stand down, surrender, not to draw attention to themselves. Um, many churches will operate with, as if their 501c3 status in America is the most important thing. So they won't even engage politically. Mm. Um, but there is a pattern to those who are fighting if you look for it. Right. Crazy. Well, thank you. Um, okay. So that leads us to our topic for today, which is, uh, evangelism. And I don't know if you all have heard of a man named Ray Comfort. Um, he is, I certainly have. Yes. I know you all have. Um, he's, uh, what he's doing out there in this community is remarkable. Uh, he talks to so many people about Christ and accepting Christ and what you're doing wrong when you think you're, you're good, you're good to go. You're, and he, and he shows you how you're not and how you can be. Um, his ministry is, is amazing and he has many blessings coming his way. So before we get into the topic, I just want to play you a, a part of his show and the title of this show that he put out. He's on YouTube. If you want to, if you want to watch his stuff. It makes you feel really great. Uh, not only do you learn um, how to evangelize, but you watch people, some cross over that line and, and finally realize where, where they need to be. And some go away thinking about it and some just completely deny it. But you can't tell me the seeds aren't planted in those as well. And so I'm going to play you some of his evangelist evangelism and, um, and then we'll be right back. had a kidney transplant a year ago what would have happened to you if you hadn't had that transplant uh probably wouldn't be here now, do you think there's an afterlife where would you have gone uh, there's only two places you can go you can go to heaven you can go to hell one of the two um i mean we either go to hell or heaven so where are you going i'm going to heaven probably heaven you think you're a good person yeah i try to be i try to be a good person okay how many lies have you told in your life Many lies. Maybe about 15, 20%. 20%? <laughs> Have you ever stolen something? No. It's not one of those many lies, is it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Have you ever used God's name in vain? I've said oh my before, yeah. It's blasphemy, it's very serious. Yeah. Things aren't looking good, Eric. Oh man. Now, Jesus said if you look at a woman and lust for her, you commit adultery with her in your heart. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? Yes, I have. Okay, there's good news and bad news. Which would you like first? The bad news first. The bad news is that you've broken three of the Ten Commandments. You're a self-admitted, lying, thieving, blasphemer, and you have to face God on Judgment Day. If He judges you by the Ten Commandments, you're going to be innocent or guilty. Mm, hard to say. It's not. It's easy. Lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterate heart, you'd be guilty like the rest of us. Oh, boy. Would you go to heaven or hell on that basis? Progatory. There's no purgatory. It's like you said at the beginning, heaven or hell. True. Okay. Well, the Bible says if you hate someone, you're a murderer. That's how high God's standards are. And he's seen your thought life and you're under his wrath. And if you die in your sins, you'd certainly go to hell. The Bible says all liars have their part in the lake of fire. So does it concern you that if you died today and God gave you justice, you'd end up in hell? No. You don't care about your life? I mean, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> so it does concern you? Yeah, it does. It does. Okay, it Tell does. me, what did God do for guilty sinners so he wouldn't have to go to hell? God did something wonderful. Do you know what it was? Forgive them. He forgives everyone. I know that pretty much. No, the Bible doesn't say that. Well, God became a human being 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth, who gave his life on the cross to take the punishment for the sin of the world. Yeah. The Ten Commandments are called the moral law. That's what we looked at. You and I broke the law. Jesus came and paid the fine. And if you're in court and someone pays the fine, the judge can say, Eric's guilty, but someone's paid his fine, he's out of here. And God can dismiss your case, forgive your sins in an instant, and grant you everlasting life as a free gift, all because of what Jesus did on the cross. Just before he died, he cried out, it is finished. In other words, the debt has been paid. Eric, that means God can forgive all those secret sins. What? Pretty much. He can wash you clean. He can make you righteous in his sight in an instant because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Okay. At the moment, Sonny, you're like someone standing on the edge of a plane, 10,000 feet up. He thinks he's going to save himself by flapping his arms. Okay. It's not going to work. He's got to trust the parachute. Uh -huh. 
At the moment, you think you can save yourself by being a good person. It's not going to work because you're not a good person. You're like the rest of us. Transfer your trust from yourself to the Savior. What you have to do is repent and trust in Him. That's not going to be easy because the Bible says we love darkness and we hate the light. We love our sins. We get pleasure out of sin. So you've got to say, God, you've got to please change my heart. Give me a clean heart. Please forgive me. And he'll do that. You'll be born again with a new heart and new desires. You'll pass from death to life. And God will grant you everlasting life as a free gift. Now, do you think I'm telling the truth? Yes. Okay, so if you died today and God gave you justice, you'd end up in hell. There are two things you have to do to be saved, Eric. You must repent and trust in Jesus. When are you going to do that? When I go to church on Sundays. Oh, it's right. It's Thursday today. You might be dead by Sunday. Oh, man. Really quick, if you're enjoying this video, please hit the thumbs up button and subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post two new encouraging videos every single day. We also have many more resources available on livingwaters.com. Thank you so much. 150,000 people die every 24 hours. So I'm saying, Eric, just in the quietness of your heart, yield your life to the Lord. Ask for forgiveness of sins. Put your trust in Jesus. Transfer your, your trust from yourself to the Savior. And do it today because, there's, because God commands you to. Right. Are you going to think about this? Yeah, sure. I can think about that. I think about it every, pretty much every day. So it's, like, it's not like I don't think about it, I do. you have a Bible at home? Yes, I do. Dust it off <laughs> and, and be serious. Okay, be serious about your salvation. Oh, yeah, for sure. Thanks for talking to me, Eric. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Does that make sense, yeah. what I'm saying? Uh -huh. The minute you do that, God will forgive every sin you've committed and grant you everlasting life as a free gift. Now, do you think I'm telling the truth? Of course. I wouldn't lie to you, Sonny. This is so important. So you're going to think about what we talked about? Yes, I'm going to think about it deeply. You have a Bible? Yes, I do at home. I'm going to give you some literature anyway. Yes, that's the amazing Ray Comfort. And uh, if you want to support his ministry, you can go to livingwaters.com and do that. He has books that are available on his website that you can buy and pass out to people. Um, if you buy a hundred, they're 50 cents a piece. I mean, it's, it's, it's a cheap way and an easy way to spread the word. Some people have trouble speaking about it. It's sad, but true. And so if you can pass out something that may plant some seeds for people to be saved, um, please do it. So to look at another angle of this, um, Penn Jillette, the entertainer, the magician, better known as with, you know, Penn and Teller, uh, he is a very voiceful, outspoken, outspoken thank you, um, atheist. And uh, he delivered a, uh, a video that is quite interesting. Before and, you play that, let me, let, me, uh, let me share a little bit about that. Go ahead. So the whole nature of, of our Christian walk is we're supposed to do certain things. There are certain things that Christ expects of us. One of those things is to witness and also to um, make disciples. Making disciples scares a lot of people. And the reason why it scares us is because we've not taken the time to educate ourselves on how to do it. That's what Ray Comfort does. He teaches us how to do it. If you listen to that montage that, uh, are not, that's probably not the right word. You listen to that example that Jason provided for us earlier. Ray is not attacking anybody. He's just talking the truth and he's doing it in a relatable way, in such a way as to not turn off his audience, which is the unbeliever. If you do it right, it works and it can make even the hardest mind stop pause and think. It's very easy to think that some of these Ray Comfort videos that are on YouTube, and there are a lot of them, particularly with his show, The Way of the Master, you can think that this is all staged and not real, but the reality is it's very real. And to give you an example of just how powerful your ability to reach the unbeliever is, um, why don't you go and play that, that Pendulette video. talk to you about this uh i get home from the show and at the end of the show as i've mentioned before we go out and we uh we talk to folks and you know sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on and there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um what i call the hover position after i was all done big guy probably about my age big guy and um he had been the um the guy who has uh, picks the joke 
during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the you know, the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show. And uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That was interesting. So the whole nature of, of your walk with Christ, if you're being obedient and you're reaching out to people and you're doing it the right way, you can make a big difference. And that's really why we shared the whole message from, from Penn Jillette. It's easy to edit it out so that you only hear the things that, that we would support on a show like this. But the reality is you've got to hear it all to really understand the impact that this good man made. And one of the ways that we live our, our lives, the, the way we walk our walk is so powerful that if we are showing God with with the kindness and goodness in our own obedience through through our relationship with him to others, that they see it in that manner, it can have a transformational impact on those who are not yet familiar with who God is. And that's something that I want to encourage each and every one of our listeners to really lean into. Take the time to read Ray Comfort's material. Watch his videos because you could be doing that. You know, and even more important, go to the word of God. I think more Christians or, you know, I don't want to even say Christians, people who claim Christianity um, and, and true Christ followers, uh, too many of them are just sort of reserved to allowing others to do evangelism. And and they do it under the guise of, well, that's just not my gift. Well, that's I'm just not that kind of a person. There's so many problems with that. 
you know, the first, the first problem is, is that even though there are spiritual gifts and there are gifts such as mercy, giving, evangelism, teaching, leadership, leadership all of those are valid gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to those who receive him. Um, some might not have the gift of evangelism, but that doesn't mean they're not supposed to evangelize. The fact is, is not everybody has the gift of giving, but we're all told to give. We're not, not everyone has the gift of mercy, but we're supposed to be merciful towards everybody where some people have the gift of servanthood and some might not, but all of us are to serve. The fact is, is that we're to manifest all of the gifts, even if we don't have them. So we should be active in these areas. So that's problem number one. Problem number two, the Great Commission. And a lot of people use the excuse, well, the Great Commission wasn't for us. It was for the disciples. Uh, there's only one problem with that. You got to dis- dissect what's being taught there. Jesus said, I have been given all authority on heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to do what I've taught you. Now, what does that automatically imply? They're going to teach their disciples to do what? Go make disciples. And their disciples are going to teach them to do the same thing because he didn't just teach them to read the word. He didn't just teach, teach them to pray. He taught them to go make disciples. So that that is that was God's plan for for growing the church. And then, of course, problem number three that sticks right out is that Jesus said the most important commandment is to love God. And the second is equally important, love your neighbors, your love yourself. Well, you cannot obey that commandment if you are not evangelizing, if you are not reaching out. First of all, how can you say you love God when you're not willing to do one of the most important things? He, I mean, Jesus is put on the spot to, to come up with the most important command. He couldn't even do it. He couldn't say just love God. He said, you got to love others too. Why? Because that's important to God. And, and that's so, kind of what Penn was saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and actually that leads to the second part of that equation is that you can't say you love people. We're told to love your neighbors, you love yourself. How can we think that we have the cure to the greatest disease, the greatest plague, the greatest illness, sickness, whatever, to plague mankind? And that is separation between man and God. How can we, knowing we, believing we have the answer, how can we just ignore our neighbor? I mean, that is just incredible. It's one thing to ignore our neighbor who, you know, needs clothing and food. And James addresses that. He said, you know, how can you say you have faith when you see somebody need you don't help them out? That kind of faith doesn't save anybody. Can that kind of faith save you? And of course, it's a rhetorical question. He's saying, no, it can't. He says, you got to get involved. Well, what's more important than giving people food and clothing, giving them eternal life, you know? And I guess I'll I'll go on with one more point. You know, the fourth point of this is a lot of people use the excuse, well, that isn't necessarily my ministry. I have other ministries. Well, you know, the Bible says that we've all been given the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, Even though we might have ministries, you know, as a worship leader, as a teacher, as a servant, whatever, we all have that ministry. Why? Because Jesus gave it to us. And the fact is, is there are, you know, there are a lot of people that are lost out there. In in fact, quite honestly, we look at the church and we, we think, wow, look at these churches. They're full of people. You know, there's a lot of people going to heaven, yet Jesus clearly said, Few ever find the path because the road is hard. And he quite clearly says that that many will come to him and say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, I never knew you. You were not obedient. And a lot of part, a lot of that obedience is just not doing what God wants us to do. You know, we think that obedience has to do with just not doing the sins of commission, right? If I just don't lie, if I just don't commit adultery, if I don't steal, then I'm fine. Well, that makes all dead people Christians, right? Because they can't do any of those things. But it's more than that. There are sins of commission or of omission as well. When Jesus says, I want you to go make disciples and we say, nah, I'm not going to do that. That's sin. That's lack of obedience. So, you know, for all that, I could do a message right here and I think I already have, but you know, the, the key is we have to get serious about evangelism. We just have to. Why? Because there are millions of people who don't know Christ. And if you're one of those people who do, and you really are on the path, you owe it to God because you're supposed to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to, to evangelize. And you owe it to your neighbor because you're supposed to love them like yourself. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you go. I'm going to get off my, you know, I'm going to step off down, box. get off my soapbox, but I will add this. Big topic. If this, if this subject scares you, um, there are things that you can do to get better at it. Those Ray Comfort videos are a great way to open the door to being able to answer questions. Uh, you just got to get really comfortable with the idea of, you know what? I don't know, but I'll find out and I'll get back to you. And that is a valid answer to any I would even question. add to that. Uh, I would even add to that because some people might listen to Ray Comfort and think, oh, I could never do that. And here's the thing. You don't have to do it like Ray Comfort does it. You don't have to do it like Billy Graham does it. You don't have to do it like Nate, Jason, or Rick does it. You just have to do it the way the Holy Spirit leads you to do it. And if you're obedient and you're willing to step out on the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he'll lead you the right way. And it doesn't matter if you're good at it or bad at it. If the Spirit's involved, it'll work. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you know, I'm going to jump in here. Um, well, it's about time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the excuse of you not being good at telling people about good things is dead. You can't wait to rush out and tell people about your new phone or the new band <laughs> or the new album that just came out or your new great shoes or this great television show you're watching. How many people have you told about your new television show? Or this great new podcast you're listening to. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. Cause it, it's kind of a double edged sword there, but you don't have a problem telling people about all these things of the world that you're excited about. Get excited about Jesus and tell everybody about that. Tell them something that actually will do something good in their life because the shoes you like won't do anything for them, but Jesus will. Well said. Well said. Well, here, here's another thought. The fact is, is it is a very, well, it's an impossible task. Jesus, when he was asked, uh, well, okay, go back, back up a little bit. He talks to a rich man and the rich man wants to know how to go to heaven. And he says, well, just obey the 10 commandments. And he said, great. I already do that. Been doing that since childhood. So I'm good. Right. And Jesus said, Oh, there's just one more thing. Sell all that you have, give to the poor, store up in treasures in heaven and you'll be perfect. Come follow me. And of course he couldn't do it. And he walks away and Jesus looks at his disciples and he said, you know what? It's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man. Easier for a camel. What did I just say? Harder. You you did last week too, but I want to correct you. Thank you, Jason. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> he is truly the pastor here. Uh, I just dogged him. I can't believe I did that. I beg for your forgiveness. Anyway, thank you for that. Of course. Question. So the, uh, he says it's easier, thank you, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the gates of heaven. And of course, what do the disciples say? Well, can anybody do it? Then how can anybody? And he said, quite honestly, it's impossible, humanly speaking. But with God, all things are possible. That's right. And so the, the, what my takeaway from that is that we cannot convince anybody on our own to be a Christian. And we cannot lead anybody. We can lead them. We can't make anybody come to Christ. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit. And all we're really doing when we evangelize is we're joining the Holy Spirit in his work. He's the one who's drawing them. He's the one softening their hearts. He's the one even bringing us along at the right time. If we just trust the Holy Spirit to do the work, we won't fail. Why? Because he's doing the work. Mm -hmm. If it's up to us, yeah, we're dead in the water. But if we trust the Holy Spirit, it is his work and we will see people saved. You out there, listeners, will see people saved. Right. There was a pastor that said um, that he wasn't good at bringing people to, uh, to Christ. And, uh, he brought one person and, but that one person brought many. Hmm. So when he, you know, he goes to heaven, maybe it was a story. I don't remember, but he goes to heaven and God said, Jesus said, well, either or, (laughs) um, says, you know, good, good job. My, well, my good and faithful servant. He goes, Lord, I only brought one person. He goes, no, you brought many because that one person told somebody and, and it spreads. I mean, we're not asking you to go save a million people. Start with one and let that grow organically. Let that one tell one and tell two and tell four and just be obedient. And I, it is hard. I have, I, I personally have problem going up to somebody and telling them about Jesus Christ. I admit it. It's easier now. The more you learn, the better it gets, the easier it gets. Because my fear in in the beginning was, I don't know enough 
What if they ask me questions and I don't have the answers for them, you know? So that was kind of my pitfall. Have you learned to say, I don't know? Yeah, yeah. But let's look that up together. Let's look that up. <laughs> you know what? Let me, let me look into that but, and get back to you. Yeah. That one works too. Um, but you may not ever see them again. And, and then you have the atheists you have to deal with and they come at you with all these things. And if you don't know how to counter those, which is why you get into the word and learn the word. So you have that shield so you can fight off the evil and the uh, counterattacks. But, you know, start small. Start with people you know. Um, I, I, I minister to people I know and that I know that are, have fallen, that I know that really they don't know God. And so uh, I've been working on a couple of friends that for over a year and they're still not there, but I don't give up because it's worth it. And, uh, it is a struggle sometimes, but it's, it's worth it in the end. And if you watch somebody go from being lost to being found and following Christ, it's incredible and uh what a gift so don't cheat yourself out on the possibilities of saving someone's life their eternal life absolutely yeah and i know we're probably running short on time but i have to say for those of you who are still scared um i want to i want to just encourage you with some words that i heard from ray comfort himself i'm watching a video and he says you know what truth be told I don't like evangelism. I don't like going, and I'm not comfortable going out to talk to people who don't want to hear what I have to say, sharing things, you know, that I don't want to have to share with them, you know, going places I don't want to have to go. He's, you know, he's, he goes on and on and I I can't repeat it all, but he said, I have to, you know, I don't like to do it, but the love of God compels me. And so, you know, just keep that in mind, you know, even those, you know, the Billy Grahams and the Ray Comforts of the world, sometimes they hate it just as much as, you know, we might hate it. And when I say hate it, not hate saving lives, but just hate having to put our reputations on the line, hating, having to uh, using up time that we could use for other things. But in the end, the, the love of Christ compels us. The love of others compels us. And it's just too important to blow off. If it's not compelling you, that's a warning sign too. In DDO. Yeah, for sure. With that, we are saying goodnight. Say goodnight, Rick. Goodnight, Rick. Goodnight, Nate. Goodnight, Nate. Goodnight, everybody.